0: Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately. This is the podcast that brims with movie recommendations, sorting you out with what to watch, keeping you up to speed with what's coming soon and finding out what the finest practitioners in the business are up to and the movies that made their lives. I remember laughing so much I'd actually fall off my seat and, you know, just that
1: wonderful being able to laugh so much.
0: The voice you heard there is a familiar one for a filmmaker. It's Nick Broomfield, who pops up in his own films on screen and as narrator, inserting himself into the life stories of Kurt and Courtney, Biggie and Tupac, Eileen Warnos, and Leonard Cohen and Marianne. Now he tells the story of his relationship with his father, Morris.
1: Morris was an incurable romantic. He had his first job at 15 with Rolls-Royce, making copper piping. As a young kid, I worshipped Morris. I loved his smell, his laugh, everything about him.
0: We'll hear much more from Nick Broomfield and his new film, My Father and Me, and the films that have meant so much to him after I tell you if I've seen anything good lately. I was at the BBC covering the Oscar nominations as they came through live earlier this week. First time for a whole year I've been allowed in the studio. The last time I was there, in fact, was for the Oscar results show exactly a year ago when we were heralding the historic win for Parasite and saying, oh, that could be a game changer. In fact, everyone was saying it was a game changer. But I'm not sure anyone quite knew how much the game was about to change. But did that first win ever, for a foreign language movie as Best Picture have reverberations that are felt in this year's nominations? I think so. For one, another Korean film, Minari, has six nominations and that's again an impressive haul for a film that's mainly in a foreign language, including nominations in the coveted Best Director for Lee Isaac Chung and Best Film category. Minari is about a Korean man, played by Waking Dead's Stephen Yun, taking his family to rural Arkansas in the early 80s to pursue the american dream and start a farm it's a task not made easy by the landscape or his lack of knowledge about animal husbandry and irrigation nor by the arrival of his own mother-in-law 네가 That's Minari out in April here in the UK, but we've also seen a far more diverse set of nominations, both in terms of colour and gender. Including two women, Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell in Best Director. I think the Academy is suddenly realising, you know, a lot of different looking people make films too. As I was looking at the noms, I did realise that despite the long haul of uh, the movie going this year, or the movie watching in your house of this year, many of those films are still to come out in the UK. All being held back now for this long-awaited theatrical release, if that promised date of May the 17th can be stuck to and achieved. It's just a couple of weeks after Oscar night after all. So my favourites... I've talked about them a few times on the show but just as they're in the consciousness now my favourites are Judas and the Black Messiah which got six nods including that rather bizarre situation of supporting actor nominations for both its leads Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield how can they both be supporting I love this film I think it's by far the best one in the race and you know what I think it's going to gain a lot of momentum in the coming weeks watch out for it and watch it I loved The Father too with Anthony Hopkins he's magnificent as a man fighting dementia in his own apartment cared for by his daughter Olivia Coleman. she's great too they're both fabulous and it's a film of great depth and deep love and that's why it works so splendidly and smartly when it could really have been a grueling watch it isn't because it's about love it's out in the UK June 11th I'm a big fan of Promising Young Woman with Kerry Mulligan on top form. It's a punchy, dazzling, funny, dark, vengeful script with a Killing Eve vibe to it, and we don't know when it's out yet. I'm hazarding I guess it will be June, but it's really one to watch and really one to look out for. Of the others, I don't like Mank, and I feel heretic saying that Nomadland is is dreary, but it is, and I couldn't really stand Francis McDormand's performance in it. Anyway, my favourite nominations of all of them, gotta go for Riz Ahmed as best actor in Sound of Metal, playing a drummer who loses his hearing and has to learn to live with it despite fighting against it, and in the animated category, what a surprise to hear a big bleat for Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon. We will follow it all very closely over the coming weeks on Seen Any Good Films Lately, of course. Also debuting this week in the UK is the BFI Flare Festival, which is the largest LGBTIQ festival in Europe. You can pick from a rich program, virtually, of course. Just get your festival pass and spend the next few days binging on it all. I can really recommend Sweetheart. It's a charming coming-of-age crush story set in a holiday caravan park about sullen A-level student AJ, played very nicely by Nell Barlow, who, on a summer break with her family, falls for a beautiful lifeguard, Isla, played by someone I'm sure is a future star, Ella Ray Smith. It's the feature debut of director Marley Morrison, and I caught up with Marley to find out a little bit more about her and her new movie, Sweetheart. You're the winner of the recent Glasgow Film Festival Audience Award as well, Marley Morrison.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Totally unexpected. So I'm I'm hugely, hugely grateful for that.
0: Uh, Your film, Sweetheart, must have just touched a lot of people. What do you think it is about it that must have appealed quite broadly?
2: I think maybe perhaps part of it is like these kind of dark times that we're experiencing right now and, and things are hard, right? And I think just to have a little bit of something that's a bit uplifting, that's joyful perhaps it was something to do with that
0: I hope it was something to do with that what I liked about the film is that first of all she's the outsider but she's also an insider because she knows the score she knows about this part because she's going to but she's going with a new perspective she's newly out she's kind of you know mm-hmm. sullen teenager and then she's sort of let into the kind of you know the secret world of the the lifeguards and the people mm-hmm. that work there and then and then so there's all different worlds that she's entering each time uh, mm-hmm. and I liked all the layers about that that's that's a sort of really good classic coming of age and I'm I'm a sucker For a coming-of-age movie
2: there is a transition that happens and i think it's like uh, understanding yourself as a kind of sexual human being so to speak and kind of then taking those first steps on acting on that whoever that may be with and i think yeah you're right there is an anxiety and a kind of a feeling depending it doesn't really matter what sexuality you are you know you're still kind of going through that i think that that's quite a a broad thing that i hope a lot of people can kind of see themselves into in some respect.
0: Yeah, I just wonder what was an inspiration uh, for you uh, as a filmmaker uh, going to make this one?
2: For this particular one, um, it's so many different things. I think, you know, I grew up on kind of like the films of John Hughes and those kind of of coming-of-age uh those coming of age films and then sort of more recently, which is your one pretty in pink pretty, yeah pretty in pink is yeah probably my favorite it's brilliant brilliant so all of those sorts of films in reference to this i guess sort of more recently ladybird was quite an influence uh, yeah. um stuff like uh ghost world um there's a british film called submarine which was
0: yeah, Richard Iwad is. A, a yeah, film with so there's, Craig a, there's a
2: few kind of, a few kind of different influences there.
0: This is your debut feature. What's the path to to for someone listening to this and watching mm. your career, saying, "Oh, good, you know, I have all these feelings. I have got all these stories. I have this story to tell." How do you get to where you are to be at the Glasgow Film Festival, to be at BFI Flare Festival? How do you get to be a filmmaker? What did you do?
2: I moved in with a friend of mine called Jake, who was a rapper, and he used to ask me to like film his music videos and things like that. So we just used to take a little DV on, cam, on, oh, on a cam, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and just go around the estate and wherever, wherever, like Hackney Marshes, or just anywhere where we could get away with without being like moved on by somebody. So that kind of escalated into I would I thought, oh well, you know, I'm gonna try and make a, a, a narrative short. So I saved up a couple of hundred quid of my own money and I went over to Epping Forest and I made a little like five minute short film with these two boys and um, and then that got into the BFI Raw shorts scheme. Uh, after that, I kind of got together with my actor friend Nathan and I wrote Leroy um, and Leroy is my film that got nominated for the iris prize the best british short iris prize and that was kickstarter which is a crowdfunder yeah and then following that i made baby gravy through film london's london calling scheme so baby gravy would have been the first one that i'd done with any help like with any kind of government you know film london or so how did you
0: know how to Pick up a camera to edit, to do that. Did you read a book? Did you look at YouTube tutorials? It's all just instinctive. This is how I'm doing it. Or is there a director's film that you watched? and You thought like that director, that's what I'm going
2: for. I mean, with the music videos, it was all kind of DIY. It was all like, you know, teaching myself how to edit on iMovie, like terribly, terribly. But like, I don't edit my stuff myself now, but like at the time I did. And then kind of over the years, I guess I've sort of been, yeah, I've watched, spent a long time sort of watching a lot of YouTube videos and, and various things like that
0: you got a film poster on your wall when you were a teenager
2: oh, oh yes I did have a film I had a lot of film I've got film posters on my wall now I was actually. going to ask I could yeah. see I
0: got one behind you there I don't know I have, that's a poster. no
2: that's Leroy that's my film
0: you're allowed so, that
2: <laughs> I'm allowed, yeah I'm allowed, I'm allowed that one no in my living room I've got um I've got eternal sunshine of the spotless mind Lovely. and I've got uh, Jumping Jack Flash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Whoopi Goldberg, Jumping uh, Jack Flash. Yeah,
2: yeah, Whoopi Goldberg.
0: <laughs> to have a Jumping Jack Flash poster up, that is, that is, that's incredible. And that was hard
2: to get that one. That was, that was a proper search to get that one.
0: And is that is it a special film for you in
2: some way? No, I mean, I love Jumping Jack yeah. Flash. It's actually my girlfriend's favourite film. So mine's the Eternal Sunshine one and hers is Jumping Jack Flash, yeah.
0: That's the two of you right there. That's, the, that's, the, the, that's exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm watching some super like art house film like about romance. It's just, just watching Jumping Jack Flash. <laughs>
0: enjoyable and universally accessible sweetheart is at the bfi Flare festival between march 17th and march 29th with loads of online events and q and a's get your pass at bfi.org.uk slash flair and if you want to hear more of my interview with marley morrison you can catch up with that she was on my totally wired radio show just go to mixcloud put me in the search engine there and and totally wired radio and you'll find that the full marley morrison interview Right, it's time for my big guest on this edition of Seen Any Good Films Lately, brought to you throughout this awards season by our friends at Strike, The distilled drinks with all the spirit, none of the alcohol. They make not gin, not vodka and not rum using botanicals and herbs and all additive free, sugar free and fat free. A not vodka and tonic with a slice of lime really will sort you out and feel like a treat. So go to strike.com, that's S-T-R-Y-Y-K dot com and order your bottle or bottles and enter the voucher code. Jason, 40, to get 40% off for Seen Any Good Films Lately listeners. Cheers, Strike. Documentary making legend Nick Broomfield is my guest today. He's one of the most distinctive figures in the game. Famed for his white t-shirt and boom-mic approach to filmmaking, putting himself in the thick of the action and probing with wry questions on subjects from the hip-hop war between Biggie and Tupac, the sensational life of Heidi Fleiss, Hollywood madam, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love, and the award-winning studies of serial killer Eileen Warnos. More recently, Nick's explored his personal relationships with the gorgeous Marianne and Leonard and his latest My Father and Me is his most revealing yet as he looks back on his relationship with his father Morris who is soon to be celebrated as a pioneering photographer with an exhibition at London's V&A. It's a film I'm proud to feature in myself. I interviewed Nick and his dad, Morris, several years ago on my BBC Radio London film show with uh, Robert Elms, my co-presenter. It was a rare occasion for Nick and his dad to be together interviewed in public. And I was thrilled to find out as I watched My Father and Me that I was in it, inserted like Nick Broomfield himself has been in so many stories. So maybe I should change the name of this show to Been in Any Good Films Lately. But yes, I have. My Father and Me by Nick Broomfield.
1: He was an industrial photographer, which sounds pretty dreary, but he made these incredibly romantic. Dramatic pictures of British industry in the fifties and sixties,
0: and why do you think they endure? I mean, they're they're strikingly composed and beautifully shot for for, for, for starters. But why do you think that people are interested in the V and A, for example? What what artistic merit do they do they still have?
1: Well, I think they are a, an art form. I mean, I love having them on my wall, for example, not just because he's my dad. They're kind of reminiscent of when Britain had a great. It's a sort of celebration of the craftsmanship that Britain had when we had a an amazing industry. And I think there was a lot of pride in what people were doing.
0: Was he proud of it? Was he there for a social reason, do you think? Was he sort of documenting this? Or was he just simply sort of taken by sculptural shapes and and, and, and getting an image of them?
1: Well, he was promoting British industry to get more investments in it and so on. But I think, you know, he was somebody who had started off leaving school at 15 ended up making copper pipes at Rolls Royce and then worked in a number of factories and then, you know, by chance, ended up picking up a camera. I think when he was at Roundtree's, they encouraged their employees to do other things as well. And so his heart and soul was very much in in the factory place. And he was fascinated by the industrial process how machines worked and stuff and and of course had great respect for the working person and that's really
0: reflected in his work I think. When you were a kid did you know what dad did?
1: I I did it terribly
0: badly at school
1: and as a kind of semi punishment he would take me with him to these factories to show me where I'd be working shortly if I failed many more exams. <laughs> it was of course an introduction to a, like a whole other world like the lead works and stuff you know which I was one of the first I went to. It was like a horror place where you had to scream to hear anything and everyone was in their old Sunday suits was before health and safety and everyone looked ill because they all had lead poisoning. Uh, so he was partly like this is where he, you're got, gonna... he
0: got these beautiful photographs out of it.
1: His whole thing was this this challenge which is how do you make this hellhole into something outstandingly beautiful that celebrates this process that is such a development in for mankind. So he would then get his lights out and create his magic. That's what he loved doing.
0: Now, I obviously know that you and your father had, you know, I think as many father-son relationships, do they? They, go, they get rocky and, you know, different rough paths. Yeah. But I was lucky enough to have you come into the radio studio... Whenever it was, sort of t- almost twenty years ago, maybe maybe fifteen years ago, uh, an mm-hmm. encounter that is now preserved. Thank you very much in your film, uh, which you right. use, use our That's interview right. with uh, my dad, with your yeah. dad, uh, which I'm yeah. you know very honoured to finally be in uh, in a Nick Broomfield film. But why did you choose to, to use us? I'm very thrilled that you did.
1: Well, I think it you know it was very much about the the dad son relationship and. It was a very spirited look at his pictures, which I think was great. And I think you managed to get him to be fairly forthcoming about his work, you know, to be quite articulate. You know, as a son, you obviously don't really interview your dad about their work and it was it was great having that opportunity and I think because of your questions I actually got to understand his work a bit better, you know.
0: Well that's that's part of the job. Well I'm very glad for that as well. So when We're this film wins when this film wins an Oscar, it, you know, we need a little <laughs> little percentage.
1: I do remember though Morris being quite critical of my work when I became a filmmaker. We had such different styles. Morris's work was beautifully crafted. Mine was much more chaotic. He thought me unappreciative of all he had done, as well as thinking my work was too confrontational. We were very different. We went through a period of being very critical of each other. It took time for us to enjoy our differences and appreciate each other's work. We were lucky that we had that opportunity.
0: Nick, I'm going to ask you the question that I have to ask you if you're coming on the show. Have you seen any good films lately? I- Saw No Man's Land, which I liked a lot. Yeah, this looks pretty nailed on to be everyone's favourite to be winning a... Well, I was there's something yeah, there, of the... Doc- there's not a lot this year. No, uh, there's something of the documentarian about Chloe Zhao who directed it, isn't there? There's something to...
1: So much so. It's an incredible performance, isn't it? Yeah, beautifully done.
0: Yeah, so you uh, like um, that one, yeah.
1: I like that one. And I actually like Gillian Temple's film, Croc of Gold. About, about Shane, Shane McGowan. Yeah, I thought it was beautifully done. I mean, I... I thought it was it was a very nice film. I really liked Truffle Hunters. is kind of fun documentary. Yes,
0: isn't it? I love that film. Yeah, I noticed that you're doing q and A Q&A with them. I think pretty soon those two might yeah. brush um, up on that. A well, bit. it's a really good film. I really i I love the way that that kind of brought out and so the, the photographer the photography in it is splendid. I think
1: it really yeah it really is. And inc- I like the one about the pig. I can't remember what that's Ganda Gander. yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of refreshing i mean i guess i guess both truffle hunters and Gander take you out
0: of your normal kind of COVID angst and show you a, a you know a world of yeah well, it's definitely been the year for the documentary technique i mean you've been pioneering it for years now and now it's like you know if nomad land wins this picture oscar as it, as it looks like it might be you know, it's almost like a documentary has has, yeah. has made it into the kind of prime form in a way it's, it's certainly been the form yeah, of the year
1: incredibly yeah it's a very modest film isn't it beautiful film
0: and no special yeah. effects needed so you know that's that that's good for documentary nick do you remember do you remember the first film you saw at the cinema
1: yeah it was a charlie chaplin film i think it was called gold rush
0: well there it is was, one called gold rush yeah that be him. who did who took and, you to
1: that uh, i love charlie chaplin because he's just so well i mean for all the obvious reasons but i remember laughing so much i'd actually fall off my seat and you know just that wonderful being able to laugh so much with you know which cinema would that have been in god i think it must have been the forum in kendish town wow that was a
0: cinema okay
1: yeah it was a cinema and it was that you know i remember all the kids used to queue up with old bottles and stuff to get their tickets on a saturday morning and i wasn't really allowed to do that because you know it yeah my mum didn't really approve but
0: the forum was the place to go oh, God, i've only ever seen gigs there how, how great to, to know that that was hey, that was awesome. if i could give you the power of time travel and you could go to visit any film set in the past where would you go
1: the film set yeah which one would i go to mm. Well, i think maybe one of those marlena dietrich films you know the blue angel yes. or whatever you know sufficiently seedy and sexy that it could be quite, you know. You'd be in that club with next to Emil Jennings, leering at her. Yeah, in that sort of Berlin weird interwar years. Am I right in thinking? Yeah, absolutely,
0: you know, totally. That sort of cabaret style, the Kit Kat club I think that would
1: be amazingly interesting, yeah. And my grandfather was studying um, medicine in Berlin at that time, and he was, you know, full of tales of
0: wantonness
1: and debauchery there oh so. so
0: it was true we think I always think it was a sort of a construct for the, the arts world but it was with this bloated economy and then this kind of you know oh
1: of I think it was beyond,
0: beyond anything
1: yeah I think it was a crazy time
0: oh right well I'll come with you in that case I was, a,
1: five, <laughs> a very <laughs> short amount of time there
0: yeah is there a film that changed your life that you could actually say I saw that film and it had such a profound effect on me
1: well I I, I kind of like I I think, you know, those sort of
0: great films in the 60s, you know, like Kathy Come Home. and Did you in- watch that? Do you remember the night that you, were, you were one of the I mean, because it, it played on TV. It was a Ken Loach movie. It played yeah, on it TV. Just, yeah, Not, uh, you know,
1: yeah, I, rem- I do remember watching it and being incredibly moved by and being incredibly surprised by it. You know how real it was and how moving it was. And I'm just trying to think of other ones. I mean, I love films
0: like My Life as a Dog, too. Mm-hmm. It
1: was a wonderful film.
0: Lasse Hallstrom. And what about the one that changed your life that you made professionally? You could say, well, that wouldn't you know, put me on this path or maybe it catapulted you to another another level.
1: I think probably, I mean, you know, I made a few films, but I think the Eileen Warners, the second film I made, you know, was pretty affecting. In fact, it encouraged me to stop making documentaries for... About eight years, I think. Uh, you know,
0: it was an upsetting film. You know, she got executed, and so that that, that was, you know, it and what it was worth it was it was uh, upsetting because you'd done the first one with her and then had to revisit her, and it was the you, yeah, you the inevitable yeah, I, conclusion. You
1: know, yes, and it was it was um, yeah, and I then did a, a number of sort of fiction films after that, or semi fiction.
0: Yes, which were a big change yes, for you, no, like the Chinese I, the Chinese uh, cockle picker one in in Morecambe Bay.
1: And I was very lucky because, um, you know, Channel 4 was going through quite an experimental phase in a really interesting way. And they encouraged me to do it. Peter Dale encouraged me to do it. And then I did Battle for Haditha for them, too, which was great. It was great to have that opportunity. And, you know, you do kind of think that the landscape of filmmaking is, is, has become much more mainstream now, much less risk taking which is a pity i think
0: yeah do you think that you know if you sort of said well i want to you know do a documentary wearing a white t-shirt and wandering around with my boom going into the back streets of la to find out if biggie shot tupac someone would say yes here have some money to do that i don't don't think anyone would give you i don't
1: think so that's not the sort of no i think i i think netflix would do it if you had sort of paul mccartney and rick rubin uh, coming with you you know you know but otherwise it's very much you know by the numbers safe and proven kind of attitude yeah
0: absolutely what about a film poster that you had on your did you have film posters decorating your student wall your student hovels
1: I think I had sort of Jimi Hendrix and you know I'm not big on film posters I'm just trying to think can't help no me okay
0: and you don't still don't have one of say of your of your movies somewhere. oh I do I like lo- Actually, I love the
1: poster of Marianne and Leonard. Yes, I was
0: just going to say that. That's my favourite of yours, I think. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's a, I think that a, it's a beautiful picture um
1: of them just sort of strolling hand in hand through the harbour of Idra.
0: Yeah, it sums up a lot. He's got this lotus eating kind of feel, but it's also about love. And I think it is that kind of surviving love. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, it sort of sucks you in and you kind of. And it's f- about what the up film's up.
0: about, isn't it, really? It's about the moment of love that then endures almost forever. Exactly. Which is what the poster yeah. does for it. Um, yeah. Have you ever fallen in love in the movies? In while making a movie. Yeah, I'm making one, watching one. I've certainly fallen in love several times making them. Normally what with, or on set with 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 a with a co worker.
1: Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think falling in love is a wonderful pastime, and as, as much
0: as possible should be should be required. Are we allowed to know with whom? Anyone in particular?
1: Oh my goodness! I mean. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure that they would automatically, you know, be incredibly appreciative. I'm not sure it's necessarily the best career move either. But it, it's something that is um, one of those
0: wonderful things that human beings do. Have you fallen in love with a movie star? Not not working with one, but on the screen. I think I fell when I was yeah when I was young. I fell in love with Hayley
1: Mills. I thought she was so beautiful. You know, I remember going off to boarding school thinking wow you know thinking about Hayley Mills maybe I'll meet
0: Hayley Mills you know? maybe in the parent trap and then you could sort of have two Hayley Millses. <laughs> imagine the, the mathematical exactly. possibilities of that Nick exactly <laughs> Well, it's been really nice sharing those memories with you, Nick, I have to say, which is what we, we've done with your film as well. So it's a little bit uh, nostalgic uh, about all of that. Listen, it, it's a beautiful film and a beautiful tribute to your dad and Thank his you. work. I can't wait to see the exhibition that will finally, I can't wait because it means that I can get out and about and go to the exhibition with other people.
1: Yeah, I think the exhibition starts in September. The book that the v and is doing comes out, I think, in the next couple
0: of months. Called, and you'll be over for the exhibition?
1: Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. I hope to come over before that.
0: I think the book's called Industry and in the Sublime. Oh, well, which I think that, you know, the photographs do do that, absolutely. Are you working on anything else right now?
1: I am. I'm going to do a film about the 60s. And I just finished a film about Death Row and Suge
0: Knight and all that stuff. Oh, you're back in there, are you? Back in there. Are they are not? It's like him again coming around after his biggie in Tupac. And now you're sort of <laughs> still there. OK. Um, well, that... the white T-shirt so much. But (laughs) But you're still hip-hop, which is what I like to see see about you, Nick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're still dope. You're still dope and gangster after all these years. Really nice to see you. And Nick Broomfield's My Father and Me airs on BBC Two on March the 20th at 9.45pm. And then it'll be on iPlayer after that. The exhibition of Morris's photos, which are stunning, uh, will be at the V&A. And there's a publication of a book called Morris Broomfield, Industrial Sublime, all set for this autumn. Okay, so here's a tough one. I watched Alan V. Farrow the four-part documentary about what happened with Woody Allen and his daughter Dylan and the fallout between the filmmaker and his girlfriend of 12 years and co-star for 13 films Mia Farrow. I watched this it's out on Sky Documentaries here in the UK now having gripped America when it aired on HBO the last couple of weeks and it made me feel sick. I had to write a piece about it, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to write. Uh, A 3,000-word response to watching Alan V. Farrow. It was published in the New European newspaper, but I've also posted it on my website, jasonsolomons.com. As you may know, I've written a book about Woody, uh, about his films... Um, Uh, It's called Woody Allen film by film and there are nine or ten of his films that would be up there in my top 50. Annie Hall is my favourite film of all time. You get asked that a lot as a film critic and I've always picked that one. I've stuck with it. After seeing this documentary, am I going to change my mind on that? Look, it's very complicated and It's a personal response, and yes, you know, Woody was a guest and a very good one on this show earlier this year. I'm quite well known for being on his side, and I've always stuck up for him. I still do. This one-sided documentary doesn't prove the horrific allegations that he molested seven-year-old Dylan once in August 1992 in the attic of Mia's rambling house in Connecticut. It doesn't prove it at all, but it does paint a nasty picture of a very nasty business, and you see Woody at his worst. I know it's a tawdry bit of doc making, but it's also gripping. It's challenging, it's slick, and it's persuasive. And it dawned on me like nausea. I came out in a cold sweat when I was watching it, and I felt my throat tightening. It was awful to watch. It was horrid to hear what was being said. Almost unbelievable to see your hero in this light. I must stress that none of it is new, apart from footage of little Dylan saying where daddy touched me. Uh, and I think the Alan V. Farrow filmmakers Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering are muckslinging on behalf of a very bitter Farrow clan. But that muck sticks, and I can't wipe off the stink of it. I'm not sure Woody can either. He may not make another movie now. In our chats over the summer, he ventured as much. He said, I I may not make another movie, but some of that, he said, was down to the fact that, you know, COVID was impacting on production and all this social distancing. I think, Woody, that people will be distancing themselves from you for a little while yet after this. Look, I'm big enough to see the uniqueness of this case and see that there's plenty of factual debate that can get Woody off any accusations and charges, including his own consistent defence of... Of his innocence, including when he was on the show last year, and I asked him outright. This is what he said.
3: This has not been uh, a terrible encroachment, it's, it's been a nuisance. I never took it terribly seriously because there was not a molecule of truth to it, and I thought it would be obvious to everybody. Uh, it was not obvious to everybody, I thought it would be because it was so preposterous. And uh, But it never had any real effect on us. We always were totally aware of the absurdity of it. So, uh, you know, I, I had always felt, you know, I always felt fine about that. Very, very, you know, happy to take lie detector tests. I mean, it, to me, it was a, a, a no-brainer.
0: But after watching Alan V. Farrow, his innocence, my innocence, feels shattered, certainly dirtied. I don't want to defend him anymore. I don't want to shout down the Me Too movement and say it's ridiculous because it isn't. And that's what the documentaries do really well. They frame the current climate and where we are with political thought on these matters. But in this instance, I will defend the work. I'll keep loving it and I'll Watch it again and I'll love radio days and Hannah and her sisters and Purple Rose at Cairo and Annie Hall and Sleeper and Play It Again Sam and Midnight in Paris and that magnificent opening sequence to Manhattan. These things will outlast us all and outlast the stench of this ugly, selfish, destructive and vicious documentary. But a young woman is damaged and hurt by all of this and right now that's what matters more even than the movies.
3: Chapter one, he adored New York City. He idolized it all out of proportion. Uh, no, make that, he, he romanticized it all out of proportion. Better. To him, no matter what the season was, this was still a town that existed in black and white and pulsated to the great tunes of George Gershwin. Uh, now, let me start this over. Chapter one, he was too romantic about Manhattan as he was about everything else. He thrived on the hustle-bustle of the crowds and the traffic. To him, New York meant beautiful women and street-smart guys who seemed to know all the angles. Ah, no, corny, too corny for a man of my taste. Let Let me try and make it more profound. Chapter one, he adored New York City. To him, it was a metaphor for the decay of contemporary culture. The same lack of individual integrity that caused so many people to take the easy way out was rapidly turning the town of his dreams and... It's going to be too preachy. I mean, you know, let's face it, I want to sell some books here. Chapter one. He adored New York City. Although to him, it was a metaphor for the decay of contemporary culture. How hard it was to exist in a society desensitized by drugs, loud music, television, crime, garbage. Too angry. I don't want to be angry. Chapter one. He was as tough and romantic as the city he loved. Behind his black-rimmed glasses was the coiled sexual power of a jungle cat. I love this. New York was his town, and it always would be.
0: Well, that wasn't easy. But you can see Alan V. Farrow on Sky Documentaries. I wish I hadn't, but it was brutally compelling stuff. On a lighter note, so pleased that Call My Agent star Laura Calamy won Best Actress at the César Awards in Paris last week after I recommended her performance to you in My Donkey, My Lover and I on the show. It's a very sweet watch. Catch up with it on Curzon. And if I may... Just fresh to Netflix is Garinda Chadha's Blinded by the Light, the story of a Pakistani kid growing up in Luton obsessed by the songs of Bruce Springsteen. It was out a couple of years ago. It's funny, it's fun, hum-along stuff. A fresh take on the British-Asian experience. It's full of heart and spirit and 80s references. A bit like a British high school movie done by John Hughes. And it totally won me over. It's cheesy and sort of rough around the edges in that Gorinda style. But it's got so much heart. Here are our two friends mounting a Bruce takeover of the school radio station.
2: What do you want? A show that plays only Bruce Springsteen. Nothing but Springsteen. (laughs)
0: That's your idea? Bruce has a lot to say to students in this college. How will they know there's
2: something better out there if they don't hear it? My job is to play music that the students will connect to. Yeah, That means bros. That means curiosity. And yes, that even means Debbie Gibson. But Springsteen, he's more what your dad listens to. Not my dad.
0: So there you have it, Jason's three to see, Judas and the Black Messiah, if you haven't caught up with that already, My Father and Me by Nick Broomfield, and actually if you want to cleanse your palate after the grimness of Alan V. Farrow, go for Woody Allen's Radio Days. It's wonderful, still, and it's on Netflix. How twisted of me is it to recommend that? Thanks to Nick Broomfield, thanks to Strike for their support, all the spirit, none of the alcohol, and congrats to former guest on this show, Sean Parks from Steve McQueen's Mangrove, who this week won the Royal Television Society, the RTS Award, as Best Actor for his work as Frank Critchlow, owner of the Mangrove Cafe in Mangrove I'm so pleased for him. Do catch up with his interview on Seen Any Good Films lately. You can find it uh, on all where you get all your podcasts. And we'll salute Sean by bouncing out with the Versatiles from that film and Long Long Time. I'll see you soon though. <laughs>